Good evening, distinguished guests, Your Excellency, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome. Tonight's lecture is the latest in our series entitled Perspectives on Europe. This is a series of lectures that the European Institute here at the LSE holds in collaboration with APCO Worldwide, and we're very pleased to have their support. Now, the series is designed to address the new challenges that Europe faces. And, of course, at the moment, one of the biggest challenges that Europe faces is the Eurozone crisis. In that sense, it's not the crisis of a new project, but rather it involves repairing an old project first agreed some 20 years ago. Since the sovereign debt crisis erupted in Greece in 2009, we've seen the international financial markets honing in, focusing on the risk of contagion. Indeed, a new category of countries has been invented. The so-called pigs is a term readily identifiable in the city, Wall Street, elsewhere. Portugal, Ireland, or Italy, Greece, and Spain. And we've seen the world's media following very closely every economic trend, reporting domestic budgets, uh, proposals, progress uh, weekly, if not daily, for each of these uh, countries. In two weeks' time, in this series of lectures, we're going to have the pleasure of hosting the Foreign Minister of Finland uh, for him to speak on uh, the European agenda. But tonight we have a wonderful opportunity uh, to hear the views of Lisbon on the matter of the future of Europe. And our guest, Paulo Portas, is the Minister of Foreign Affairs in the Portuguese government. He's also the leader of the Christian Democrat Popular Party. Uh, the centre-right coalition government in Portugal was elected just last June, uh, defeating the previous socialist administration. The new government has promised to implement all the reforms made necessary by the bailout package Portugal has received from its Eurozone partners and the IMF. And certainly, of course, in the present situation, there are major economic issues to confront, both in Portugal and elsewhere. I understand our min the Minister will return tomorrow to a Cabinet meeting in Lisbon to approve next year's budget. <coughs> These issues are present and imminent and at the forefront of our mind. But tonight's lecture is also an opportunity for us to look more widely. More widely, the changes in Europe more widely the ideas for the uh, future reform of the European Union. More widely in terms of foreign policy matters. We've lived through this year seeing the so-called Arab Spring with changes across North Africa. Portugal is bound to have a special interest and viewpoint on this matter and uh, perhaps the Minister may wish to address those foreign policy aspects. As is the nature with these lectures, in a moment I'm going to uh, ask the Minister to speak. We're going to allow plenty of time for questions and answers uh, from the audience, so you will have an opportunity of raising 
the issues of concern to you from tonight's lecture. But our speaker is very well placed to address uh, the issues of Portugal and the European uh, Union. Uh, I understand his academic background is in law, but also political science mm -hmm. as well, uh, of which I have a particular fondness. Uh, he is a former member of the European Parliament, and he has held a succession of posts in uh, successive Portuguese uh, governments. So please join me in welcoming tonight's lecturer, the Foreign Minister of Portugal, Paulo Potas. I would like to. I would love to say to. I'd love to thank you, and to thank the prestigious, the most prestigious London School of Economics, the opportunity to extend some views, and later to interact with you on Portugal and obviously on Europe. Uh, my first duty as Foreign Affairs Minister of Portugal is to improve the external perception about Portugal and to promote a better understanding of the determination and the determined efforts of the Portuguese government to face the crisis we have. And I will begin just with a personal um, note. When I had your age, I had the dream to be student in this university and it's a pleasure to me to have the opportunity to be a speaker in the London School of Economics. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, how did Portugal come to this situation? It's not essential but I think it's relevant to have it clear. How does a country almost with nine centuries old, come to this difficult situation? How does a nation, member of the European Union and the Eurozone, finds herself at this spot, and sometimes and on the cover of the Financial Times, not exactly by the, for the best reasons? Well, if you follow the news, you know the storyline. In March, the government had 4.23 billion euro of debt repayments to make that month, but only 4 billion in cash reserves. The government had been going to bond markets to raise more money, like any other country, but at increasingly expensive rates as investors either lost faith in the country's ability to manage its debt or tried to earn some money with the speculation or most likely both. In May 2011, Portugal requested financial assistance from its international partners, the European Commission, the European Central Bank, and the International Monetary Fund in order to overcome the structural challenges faced by the Portuguese economy, the threat of contagion from the sovereign debt crisis, 
and the difficult conditions faced by the Portuguese banking sector. But there is more than this. There, there are reasons that run deeper than the simple schedule of a debt rollover. We had the highest public debt in percentage of the GDP of the last 160 years, around 100% of GDP. And besides that, there are still 50,000 million, 50, million euros of the public-private partnerships, a mechanism overused by governments to do public works. There to be paid for by future generations. A typical case of spend today, use tomorrow, and pay someday. Portugal had the highest external debt of the last 80 years. The gross external debt is almost eightfold our exportations. The unemployment was and still is also at historic heights. We have, and this must be said, very serious structural problems. Some of them not only affect directly and, indirect, and indirectly the lives of our citizens, but also the economic agents, such as, for instance, 1.6 million pending cases on the civil courts, just to give you an example. This is why Portugal agreed to implement a set of ambitious and comprehensive measures to restore competitiveness and put Portugal's, Portugal's economy back on a path of sustainable growth, sound public finance and job creation. Without the fiscal consolidation and the sound budget, we would be unable to regain any kind of international confidence, namely of the markets. But that by itself is not enough. We need the structural reforms to improve competitiveness and therefore promote economic growth. In that sense, this crisis is an opportunity. I would give you some notes on what is the difference between Portugal's story and other stories. Greece was struggling to repay debt, facing huge bond repayments, and was forced to seek, to seek something like 110 billion in aid. In Ireland's case, it was the banking system that pulled the economy into international assistance. Ireland, whose banking sector had drawn up 46 billion and needed 24 million billion more, then negotiated a bailout package of 85 billion. Portugal reality is different. Our structural problems met with the current sovereign debt crisis, namely in the Eurozone, thus creating a financial perfect storm in the words of some economists. 
That is why the structural reforms that we are implementing, namely in the labor market, social security, housing, public administration, justice, and privatizations, are necessary not only because of the stability of the Eurozone, they are key also by national reasons to restore our competitiveness and job creation and to put our economy on the path of sustainable growth and sound public finances. And also, another difference is that the program we are now following has a broad support in the National Parliament of Portugal. Though we'll, we will have some difficult times ahead, the Portuguese people understood the need for change and for cuts in public spending. The last survey, Transatlantic Trends, conducted by the German Marshall Fund in July showed the Portuguese has the highest European country support for the cutting of public spending. I think there is a sort of intolerance towards wasting of taxpayers' money. So, not only we have a newly elected government with a stable coalition that ensures political stability for a full four-year mandate, but also the three major parties in Portugal, the Social Democrats, including the Socialists who are now in the opposition, and the Christian Democrats, have signed the Memorandum of Understanding with the, interna the inter international institutions. This stability is paramount for the accomplishment of our goals. The perimeter to, of support to the assistance program is larger than the majority that supports the government. And what we are doing now? The ambitious and comprehensive economic program agreed upon with the European Union and the IMF partners is on track and in some areas ahead of schedule. We are delivering it faster and further. It is based on three pillars. The government is committed to a strong and credible fiscal consolidation path while implementing bold measures to restore competitiveness, open the economy and remove hurdles to growth and competition. The immediate concern was to ensure that the transition to a new government did not affect the implementation of the measures scheduled for June and July. The new ministers immediately took ownership of their respective responsibilities and along with civil servants successfully implemented the first 22 measures planned for June and July. As an internal and external sign of the government's commitment, the Prime Minister set up a special task force under his direct supervision to monitor the implementation of the program measures. This is a true innovation compared to the similar programs elsewhere in Europe and is already proving useful in ensuring effective political coordination. 
The move was welcomed by representatives of the European Commission, European Central Bank and IMF as an important step to ensure, in ensuring success. We had the first review mission from European Commission, European Central Bank and International Monetary Fund. And allow me to quote you three or four conclusions. I quote, in our assessment, the program is on track. We welcome the new government's commitment to the ambitious and comprehensive program agreed in May 2011 and take note of its determination to accelerate implementation in key areas. End of quote. I quote again, we appreciate the authorities' strong commitment to the program's fiscal consolidation path. End of quotation. And I quote again, as to the financial sector, banks are strengthening their capital levels to meet the new capital requirements established under the program and existing legislation is being amended to strengthen the augmented solvency support facility. End of quotation. And finally, the success of the program inches above all the opening of the economy to competition, reducing government involvement in private sector activity and establishing a level playing field for firms is critical in this regard. And the government is up to a good start with the abolishment of the special rights of the state in the private companies ahead of schedule. End of quotation. There are two main, main ideas in these quotes. Strong commitment ahead of schedule. And that means something. The first one is obvious. We do not have the time to hesitate. Our commitment must be stronger than the huge problems that we face. As a nation, an old one, we realized that we must reform, reform, and reform. This is the only way we can not only survive to the crisis, but emerge as an able and changed country and economy. We are fully aware that the debt crisis in the Eurozone can bring new problems up ahead, and we will not stand idle on, uh, and only hope for the best. We are taking difficult measures ahead of schedule to ensure we can overcome even unseen challenges. We must be ready for different scenarios in a quick changing financial world. In my mind, I have always present this idea. Political problems can be divided in two kinds of those we can solve directly and those can be solved, but it, not, it doesn't depend directly on you. In Portugal, we are focused in what depends totally on us, as a nation, as institutions, as government. And we'll fulfill our program and honor our word to international institutions. Some of the, this is how strong our resolve is. 
we have to be ready for the worst scenarios. Some of the new measures we announced were reduction in state staff spending, which will result from the application of a salary freeze and the reduction of the number of contractors. Reduction in welfare payments, mainly associated with the suspension of the indexation rule for pensions, except the lowest pensions. Reduction on public spending on health through the decrease socially cautious in the value of benefits. Reduction in the public administration's intermediate consumption, along with the rationalization of services control of operating costs within the public administration, the government business sector and the school network. Reduction in investments within the central, regional and local administration as well as the government enterprise sector. Temporary solidarity tax on the highest incomes and profits. In a few days, we will be presenting our budget for 2012. It is going to be hard, but required. It is going to be tough, but useful. You will understand that I cannot reveal it here, before it is present to our parliament. Even still, I can tell you some of the measures the government is taking in this year's last quarter. We accelerate privatization of the full stake held by the state in the energy sector, EDP, REN, GALP. Portugal, for the first time, will present a multi-year budget specifying four-year medium-term economic and fiscal forecasts while moving from a cash to an accrual basis in line with the international public sector accounting standards. The government will amend the new Urban Lease Act, which will include the phasing out of the rent control mechanisms, reduction of prior notice for termination of contracts, and introduce extrajudiciary eviction procedures we need, mainly for young people, a rent, a housing rent market. Adding to one billion cost savings already identified, the government will present a strategic plan for the overall, the overall restructuring of central government state-owned enterprises. <coughs> the goal is to reduce the sector by at least 20% through privatization or outright closing of companies. With these measures and others, we want to have a sound and balanced budget in 2015. We have to fall down the public deficit this year from 9.7 to 5.9. We want to fall down the public spending from 50.6 to 40% of the GDP in the four years term of this government. 
with such hard measures we have set, we are very aware how the cuts will be tough on families. This is why, even as we cut streamlined and slash public spending, we cannot forget those who need more help. A social ethic must prevail in spite of the austerity measures and because of the austerity measures. To fulfill, I give you some examples. To fulfill the memorandum, we were obliged to raise tax on electricity and natural gas, but we created a discount for the lowest income families. To fulfill the memorandum, we were obliged to raise the price of public transportation, public companies with such high debts that could unbalance the national deficit, but created, we created a discount for citizens with low income. Even a new extraordinary solidarity tax was created to apply only to the highest incomes. We have decided in each circumstance to protect the citizens with the lowest income, namely old people and families with larger number of children. Everyone in the country is giving its share because it is the very future of our country that is at stake. We are acting as one nation. How independent, how independent from foreign assistance we want to be. How competitive in a global economy we need to become. How strong, as a member of the European Union, we want our economic area to stand. Before the elections, when, as leader of a political party, I met the members of the international mission, ECB, European Union, and IMF, I told them, eye to eye, in the last meeting and in the last minute of our meeting, Something like that. We will have to work together in the next years. But let me tell you just one thing. This is the, the third time I have seen the IMF come to assist my country. What I can pledge is a total commitment so that this will not happen again. This is our goal. This is 24 hours a day and seven days a week what we are doing. Not just a minister or a government, but every person, every company, every worker and every investor in Portugal. We are delivering our commitments. Our commitments with the IMF, the ECB and the European Commission. I repeat, we will deliver. Our commitment to implement structural changes that can make our country competitive for economic growth, we will deliver. Our resolve to give Europe a success story in the midst of a financial and economic turmoil, Portugal can be a success story. We will deliver. 
We cannot control what happens in the world of Europe, even less in a globalized economy. But what we can do, our part of the job, we will deliver. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister, very much indeed for that uh, very interesting and welcome uh, presentation. Uh, I should have said at the beginning that, uh, like all of the LSE lectures, uh, the lecture will be available as a podcast for people to download from the internet. Uh, and I think you can see on the screen behind me that there is a hashtag for Twitter, which probably given your age, you may be able to understand better than I do. So you can twit as you wish, if that is the, if that is the verb. Before coming to the lecture, uh, the minister gave uh, an interview for BBC uh, Newsnight. And I promised him <coughs> that the questions that were put by BBC Newsnight would be easy peasy by comparison to the questions you're about to uh, put to him uh, this evening. So please rise to that uh, challenge. Uh, whilst you're thinking of those interesting questions, perhaps I could start off with uh, one of my own. Um, <laughs> you will ask better questions than me. Um, forgive me, I, I, I couldn't help but notice that there was repeated stress on doing things ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. Somewhat. Somewhat. Uh, Cross-party agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think I heard uh, an argument about more truthful change than other countries. Mm. Just to take a random example, how would you view the Greek case? I will give you a diplomatic answer. Oh. <laughs> I don't need to criticize others to put in, evident, in evidence the difference of the Portuguese story. But it's a different story. Three months ago, you, it was usual to read, to the, um, namely on the finance international press, Portugal and Greece, mm. Greece and Portugal. Three months after, if you see IMF, if you see World Bank, for instance, you will find something different. <laughs> Ireland and Portugal are in the good way. This is a reputational, uh, in a reputational uh, point of view, very relevant. Okay, thank you. Now, they've had the opportunity of thinking of the questions, and I'm going to... You can see in the usual LSE way there are stewards with microphones. Let me invite you to ask a question, uh, not to make a long speech, please. And could you also identif identify, yes. identify yourself? And with, we haven't arranged this, but with your agreement, if we could take two or three questions? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Could we take the gentleman here, please? Thank you, sir. Uh, Gilberto Ferraza, I'm a Portuguese writer and commentator as well, living in London. Uh, Excellency, 
Uh, I understand that once Portugal has been placed amongst the pigs, I'm glad from what you said that Portugal is determined to deliver the bacon. <laughs> I wish that that is true. Could we move on, please? <laughs> and I wish you all the best, Portuguese government, as I've written to Portuguese Prime Minister as well. I wish you all the best. I know how difficult it is, mainly being in this country for almost 50 years. I know what you have just said, Portugal and Greece, now, of course, we are on the right course. Now, I would like to ask you another question. Uh, according to Mr. Junker, or Junker, uh, he criticized both Ms. Um, well, Mrs. Merkel and uh, uh, President Sarkozy that they are in fact or they seem to represent Europe. I would like to ask you what is the position of the Portuguese government regarding that? Do you also recognize the couple as representing Europe as a whole okay. or really and the European Commission should represent Europe. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. I suspect we know the answer to that one. Uh, the gentleman in the white at the back, please. Okay. Thank you very much for uh, for Mr. Thank you very much for your speech. I was a master's student doing international political economy at LSE. Uh, my question is, uh, last month, uh, Chinese Premier, Premier Wen Jiabao, he proposed that China will increase its uh, investment in Europe, uh, especially to buy some uh, European government debt to help Europe to, you know, to get out of the, the, the crisis and the recession. But it's a conditional, uh, it asks the Europe, European countries to grant China the full member the, 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 of the full recognition of the market economy. So what's the Lisbon's point of view on this issue? Thank you very much. Thank you. And the, the, the matter, and the name was? Your name, please. Your name, please. Uh, uh, my name is uh, Feng Xuebao. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, excuse me. If we, could, if we could take the um, woman at the back in the green and pink. Uh, good evening, my name is Adriana. I'm originally Portuguese. I'm a master's student in international development and humanitarian emergencies. My grandmother is a big fan. My, my family lives in Switzerland, which uh, brings me to my question. I'd like to know what the Portuguese government is doing to compensate and allow embassies and consular personnel in different countries to live with some decency in light of the devaluation of the euro towards other countries. Because you're surely aware that in Switzerland, for example, the staff in Geneva is now on strike and has been for the last month because their salaries were cut by 40%. Okay, thank you. Can we invite your responses to those uh, three points? What's your name? Excuse me. Joanna. Joanna. Adriana. Okay. Joanna? Okay, Joanna, I will begin with you. Uh, just tell you one thing, look. Um, if we don't have the money to correct those salaries, 
My duty is to say those workers, I don't have the money. Not promising them what I cannot pay. Second, you must have some memory. It's completely truth. You have now a devaluation of those salaries, but it's also completely truth that some years ago you had an increase of those salaries exactly by the opposite reason, the relation between the position of the euro. So we must be uh, balanced in our judgment uh, and the strike ended. We had a strike of five weeks, but you don't have more strike. Second, um, on China. Okay. I will tell you one thing I told to Hillary Clinton. If I, you know, if you see the United States from Europe, you will find probably uh, strange the lack of uh, bipartisan attitude in the American politics. And if you see uh, Europe from United States, you notice, for instance, uh, some politicians in America asking to the Europeans, what are you doing with the euro? But if you see America or Europe or both together from Asia, you will find some strategic answers about the future. Okay. Um, so, uh, I noticed uh, the statements of the Chinese, uh, of the Chinese, uh, um, okay, I would say Politburo, um, and uh, uh, governors, but uh, uh, I think you have to reinvent the transatlantic link between America and Europe. America in Euro and Europe are strong economic blocks, they have to find solutions to their crisis, and they have to face competition, real competition with the Asiatic world. But would, so, you, hmm? would you support China becoming um, a, designated as a market economy? To me, it's a technical question with technical criteria. Okay? And I'm not, and uh, just Professor, I will tell you just one thing, yes, I don't, if you need technical criteria to fulfill uh, the membership or the designation as uh, economy, uh, market, econo market economy, if those econo technical criteria exist, you can't ignore them. There's no a political substitute to technical criteria. So this is my answer. And I think I'm still giving you a diplomatic one. Um, to Gilbert Frage, I would say just primeiro uh, cumprimental. And um, uh, I would call your attention for the speech President Cavaco gave today in Italy, which is a reflection on what happened in the Eurozone some years ago 
uh, when some countries uh, didn't um, fulfill um, the stability pact criteria, when uh, those criteria were relaxed and that relaxation didn't help uh, sound uh, budgets in European countries. I think it's a fair reflection. Uh, I must tell you two or three things. To me, Europe is a 27 organization. Euro is a 17 organization. And to me, traditionally, if you read the past, if you have some lessons from the past, uh, European Commission is more balanced and um, protects in a more balanced way the different countries on Europe than any kind, any kind of directory. Okay, good. Thank you. We have a chance to <coughs> more questions. Is the gentleman... <coughs> Yes, exactly that. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Portes, thank you for your speech. I'm from the Department of Social Policy. Uh, my name is Yuvraj. I just want to ask... Your name, like, was? Your name was? Yuvraj. Yuvraj. Yes, Yuvraj. <laughs> and uh, hmm. yeah, I would like to ask you that could you please clarify that uh, when you propose that your government is going to cut down on social spending, uh, are you proposing that s government is not going to be involved in services of, you know, delivering services delivering healthcare and education or are you proposing privatization of healthcare and and, uh, and education or is it like drastic you know just straight shot cut into social spending okay good thank you there's the oh sorry there's the gentleman here in the blue hi good night my name is carlos uh, although i'm a big supporter of this government and we might be doing some things ahead. I don't see us meeting our targets if we analyze last week's news. Every week, or I could say every day, new debt is appearing here until now in state companies and public institutions. I can quickly remember the Sports Institute, six millions that were found in a room. Mm -hmm. uh, state Hospital Santa Maria, six millions. Uh, one of our companies, state companies for public works, 600 millions. Madeira Islands, for those who doesn't hmm. know her, uh, one of our islands in Portugal, 1,200 millions. And we could continue with state companies and like both national and councils. And I really think that we might be doing some things ahead, but this is not really helping and I would like to know how this will affect our performance. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, gentleman here with the orange collar. Uh, my name is Gavin. I study international yeah. relations here at LSE. Uh, I'm wondering when you're approaching austerity measures as you are in your country, are there any historical examples that you look to as models of how states should implement such measures? Just, uh, Gavin, I will give you just a Portuguese example. As, you t as I told there, Portuguese, I saw, in my generation, I saw three times IMF in Portugal. And I 
will do everything I can that this one was the last. It's not current life for a good, for a, for a nation to ask for external help. Um, there is one historical example I could give you. Um, in the 80s, the financial situation of Portugal was dramatic and with the help of the, of the IMF, there was a strong austerity program who was well succeeded. And that was the austerity program who allowed Portugal to be candidate to the European Union some years later. That's a good example and a Portuguese example. Um, the second, uh, Carlos. Carlos. Um, quoting you, we cannot continue like that. Okay? That's why you know what happened in Madeira. It was a sensitive dossier, obviously. Uh, do you know, I, I just want to remember what I said there. In the, in, the, in the present situation and in the future, you can't have any public entity, national, regional, local, um, ent uh, 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 public enterprises uh, with non-transparent uh, and non-accountability on his finances. Okay? Because this, is, this damages our internal credibility and external credibility. So those kind of situations, you must be very, very firm, very, uh, you must have authority, um, political authority, democratic authority against those kind of stories which can, uh, which, which, which damages our reputation. You just can't do it. You don't, you don't, you can't have people or institutions um, uh, not accomplishing basic duties on public finances, okay? So this is my, I, I, could, I could answer you this about the region, uh, a local entity, an hospital, or uh, a public enterprise. To me, it's exactly, you know, uh, uh, I know you have better debts than others, but when the debt is excessive, it's negative from everybody. So, uh, and I feel it's, I have that, this, that presentment that uh, Portuguese people realized that something wrong, structurally wrong, was happening in our country. And for years or decades, you expected from politicians to win elections spending. And now, what you expect from politicians is the capability of ruling the country saving money. This is a completely different, uh, do you say it paradigm or no? Uh, paradigm, okay. This is completely different. Uh, it's very easy to win elections spending the money you have and the money you don't have. But what you really need now is government, national government, regional government, local government, business governance, 
with the capability to save money and to be efficient on the, in spending uh, rules and practices. Um, and to the first question, what I ask on public spending is efficiency. You have in education, I don't, I don't love to, to, to political debate with go, the ideological ghosts. You have in health sector in Portugal, public service, social service, and private service sector. You have in education in Portugal, public school, Catholic school, private school. Little difference. Just those who have an, an, an higher income have the freedom to choose. What is not fair? So um, I want efficiency. We have to fight wasting money. I give you an example on the on the on the health sector. Um, the there is a study realized by the. Uh, tribunal de contas, so a court, about uh, health spending in Portugal. The wasting can reach 25%. Have you any choice except cut the wasting of public money? So I'm not a, I'm not a, I, I'm for a balanced. Uh, I want competition on health and I want competition on uh, education. On education because I believe freedom of, cho of, of choice from families and uh, because I believe that competition increases quality. If you just have public school or just have private schools, you will have uh, a lower ranking on uh, quality and quality is the key question. So. Um, efficiency, uh, regulated competition, obviously, and intolerance towards wasting of taxpayers' money. Thank you. Perhaps I could just follow that up. In the UK, mm -hmm. uh, the Institute for Fiscal Studies this week produced mm -hmm. a report which showed that the average person will continue to be worse off in the coming years as mm -hmm. a result of the austerity measures. Presumably that is also the case in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And how long would you expect the average person to be <coughs> worse off than now in Portugal? I just can uh, base my, my, my answer in uh, what international institutions are saying when they study the Portuguese economy. We are in a recessive uh, year and we'll have another recessive year next year. This is the second recession in three years. Um, and uh, the first thing, my first duty, and it's not to become by political uh, conveniences in a denial position. No, we have a recession and probably will have a recession next year also. And in 2013 you will have a turn to economic growth and job creation. Okay. Must tell you just one thing, add one thing, add one thing about income. 
I believe in a society where you have rights and duties, not only a society of rights. To have rights means to have the money to pay those rights. The money to pay those rights doesn't come from the even. It comes from work, effort, merit. Those are the values I believe. Thank you. Okay. Um, the gentleman several rows back. Uh, yes. The uh, gentleman there who's uh, pointing. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Dr. Portas, uma grande honra estar aqui na presença de Vossa Excelência. Uh, my name is uh, Frederick Seaman. I'm a Fred international. Frederick? Frederick. Frederick. I'm an international exchange student in commercial mm -hmm. law at Kingston University. I have a two-part question on the temporary solidarity tax that you're imposing. Mm -hmm. It seems to me to be a rather uh, popular, in a way, populist approach that many pressured governments are, are proposing at this moment. But do you really think in uh, pressured times as this uh, that putting a um, lid on the creative people uh, at the top of the society, or <coughs> some people will call them rich people, or millionaires, or billionaires, but others would call them job creators, or in innovators, and entrepreneurs. Do you really think this is a time to uh, put a creative lid on these people? And uh, also, uh, being a, a center-right politician, uh, how can you assure that these, this tax will stay a temporary tax? Because it seems to me also that politicians, uh, as soon as they do impose temporary taxes, they seem to permanent them. Mm -hmm. Uh, a while later, because <laughs> tax money might come in handy. Thank you. Thank you. The lady behind you here. Good evening. My name is Carlos Sosa Coutin. Uh, I just would like. Where? Here. Okay. I just. The name, like please. Carlos Sosa Coutin. Okay. I just would like to ask you the following. Um, you just talked about. Uh, just now about the rights and duties and I totally understand that a very serious public spending cut is necessary. Okay. Now one of the chronic diseases in Portugal is in terms of the public sector there is the manager, the manager of the manager, the manager of the manager of the manager of the manager and so on. Everybody loves giving orders Everybody lives, loves being on top. Um, so I would like to ask you if this cutting um, also uh, plans into cutting so many management yes. positions, because to me this would be also a way of setting example to the common people. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the gentleman in, in the blue, several rows back. Yes, yes, you, sir. Hi, uh, here. Uh, my name is Diogo Fezer Vital. Um, I've been uh, in London for the past year um, and finished my college in Portugal. Um, my question relates more to um, the way you started the, the, the presentation on what your job is, the improve the, the external perception of, of Portugal. And you've talked a lot about what Portugal can do for itself and the, so the problems we can solve ourselves. Given your position, what are the main challenges that you face um, in patting this perception uh, to the external world and mainly to the financial markets, which 
drive a lot of the uh, way the, um, the country is able to heal itself. Uh, what are the challenges that you face in passing that perception on? Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe. Um, just uh, my, uh, yes, I, I, I'm completely aware that my first duty is to improve the external perception of Portugal. And my second duty is to promote economic diplomacy. Because you have to change the anchor of our economy and you have to boost exportations. Actually, we had a very good, um, we had very good rates in um, exportations the first six months of the year, even in crisis. We are being in crisis. We are in crisis. Um, and the first, second, and third challenge is credibility. Uh, I know it's apparently you can say it's uh, you're always repeating fulfill, accomplish, honor our word. But this is the young way to recover credibility. And this is the main battle. You have to recover credibility. Um, Carla, I agree 110%. Uh, I must probably I'm being unfair with a lot of people but if public management was so good they probably will be in the private management <laughs> so you have seven you can have five you, you have five you can have three you don't need so many so many uh, public, um, public, um, how do you call gestores publics in English? Public managers, okay. You don't need so many public managers. Uh, or you can't understand with so many public managers, how can they have such a depth in, such, in, in, in each enterprise, even if each enterprise is a story and a case, okay? So we'll review to answer directly. Yes, we'll change. Uh, the, what we call the law of um, public management, obviously. Um, and the, ah, Frederico. Se quer que eu responda aí? Português com açúcar ou não? Eu vou, uh, Frederico. Um, I, I, give, I will give you one good reason why the tax is temporary. Portugal has in his income tax eight levels. This is an exaggeration. Okay? The, medi the medium in Europe, the average in Europe, is three, four, five levels. Uh, and there are some eastern countries former communist countries who have one or uh, two, three levels in the income tax. Eight levels in the income tax has a wrong consequence, uh, a counterproductive consequence, which is if you are uh, meritocratic in your job, if you work with more intensity, if you are more productive, 
you immediately increase your uh, level of income tax. So your effort, your merit goes to the state and not to your family because you increase immediately the rate and the payment. You need, in a, in a, in a, in a theoretical, in my theoretical mo uh, uh, conception, um, uh, you need a more, uh, uh, a less, uh, 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 you need a, 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 an income tax, a reform of the income tax. Um, the first one was some decades ago and it was a good one. Uh, but 20 or 30 years ago, after, you have a lot of exceptions, a lot of uh, inequalities, a lot of um, uh, special deductions, a lot of uh, uh, pressure from lobbies to change concrete and spe special aspects of the income policy. And this is no more a coherent system. So you are in an urgent situation, and uh, it was necessary to make that to 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 decide the uh, uh, the special contribution. But we are, if you read the, the the programs, the program of the government, you will read very clearly that we intend to nominate a commission for the reform of the income tax with less levels um, and less exceptions, more simple, less bureaucratic, and friendly to effort, friendly to merit. So this is a, this is a good reason to, I understand your question, but I, I also think you have to, you have to share, you have to share uh, contributions and responsibilities in this crisis. Um, but I think it's a temporary one. Okay. You're okay for two more, three more questions? Yes. Okay. I love question time, so. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Um, okay. Uh, could we take the gentleman um, here, please? Yeah. Hi, um, William Wilkes from Market News International. Um, Minister, you said towards the end of the speech that Portugal is a separate case from Greece, but I, I just can't see how... No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I just said Portugal is a different story. Okay, well... The idea of Portugal is of Greece, and it's, uh, it's your idea. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, excuse me. Um, we're here today that the... Um, the there might be an increase in the level of private sector involvement in the next bailout for Greece for around, from around 20% to 50%. That, that will make your job quite a lot harder, won't it, in convincing markets of what you're doing? Okay. Um, and then the, um, the girl here in the striped um, blouse? Yes. You, please. Uh, your Excellency, I'm a student of philosophy and public policy here at LSE. Uh, Portugal Philosophy? Philosophy and public policy, yes. Okay. Uh, Portugal has been renowned... And your name? Francis. Sorry. Francis, okay. Uh, Portugal has been renowned across the world as being a leading example of, the, of green economy and investment in, say, renewable energy. Uh, what I want to know, especially given that the inc uh, rise in oil prices and the increasingly precarious situation of um, the global environment, will Portugal continue to honour its environment... Uh, 
its commitment to the environment, even in crisis. Thank you. Uh, and then the gentleman in the white over here, please. Uh, thank you. So these are the Ludis, uh, European Institute LSE, um, and uh, I just submitted a PhD on uh, Greece and Portugal. So uh, I would like to ask you about the, uh, the, the side effect of... Uh, submitted a PhD on Greece and Portugal. Okay, okay, okay. Sounds okay. sensational. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one, one of the problems of uh, Portuguese competitiveness historically, but also now with the crisis, is uh, the transition from a relatively cheap economy to a high-end economy. And uh, uh, one of the side effects of the cuts and the crisis is that many highly educated Portuguese people, especially the young, migrate either to uh, northern Europe or even to former Portuguese colonies like Angola. And I wonder whether indeed the program will go well, but at the end of the program, uh, the maybe the most useful people won't be there. I wonder how uh, the government is trying to deal with this problem, with this side effect of highly educated people leaving mm -hmm. the country. Thank you. Thank you. And your name is? Sotiris. Sotiris. You're Greek? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> From Athens or Salonika? Salonika. Okay. So, three questions, I think. Yes. The first one was about the haircut. Oh, yes. Jiro, uh, you can have all new ideas you, can, uh, you want, but uh, uh, to me, because I represent a state, I would love to have the complete wording and agreement of 21st of July closed. To me, that would be enough. And it will be very relevant to the credibility of the European institutions because the agreement was three months ago, first of all. Second, Francis. Uh, Sorry, can I just follow up on that? Um, much of the news media here is suggesting that the July 24th package... 21st. 21st package is uh, insufficient. At mm. 440 million for the European Financial yes. Stability Fund is... But let me tell you one thing. The first thing that the international organization must be able to show to the world when we make a commitment it must you, you must give consequence to the commitment you have done okay there was an agreement in the 21st of july that agreement must be must have an, a wording and that wording needs some negotiations 3 months is after it's enough time to close that wording okay because if no, if not, you're going from summit to summit, from summit to summit, without conclusive, conclusive conclusions. Okay. Um, we'll fulfill, we'll accomplish, we'll honor our commitments in the environment in the measure, exactly measure, like in other sectors, that we can pay them. Okay. So we are looking for efficient, uh, policies everywhere. Portuguese has done a tremendous job. Portuguese enterprises and some Portuguese enterprises have done a tremendous job on the, in, the, in environmental and uh, renewable energies and uh, uh, conquered very good positions in, uh, in other countries. So um, 
obviously, I, I, can't, I can't accept any sector from uh, the general austerity Portugal is living. But this doesn't change our priorities if you see it in a structural way. Um, and our Greek friends, um, about young people and young talents. Look, if one, if a Portuguese girl or boy with 20 years or 25 years want to come to the London School of Economics, because it's good, because it needs, uh, it's good for its career, needs a doctorate or to, or by cosmopolitan reasons, I'm totally in favor. Who am I to say no? Who am I to say no? I have, I have not that condescendent speech about, look, you, you live in an open world. You live in an open world, in a global economy. And if someone wants to improve professionally or uh, in the university level its experience, and go to London, to Madrid, to uh, United States, etc. It's okay, no problem. The problem is if someone feels, or a generation feels, that one society is no more an opportunity society and has to leave because that generation doesn't believe that such society will reform itself to become uh, a, a, a society with and of opportunities. Okay? I am a strong believer in social mobility. And one of the things I see critically in, uh, um, in, the last, in, the, in, in this period in Portugal is the decrease of social mobility. Okay? I believe someone can uh, begin in a poor family and with uh, education and effort become a wealthy uh, person. Okay? That's the society I believe. I don't believe in equality or uh, equality by state determination okay? or ideological reasons. People are different one from the others. The merit of each one, each one should go so uh, uh, um, so, uh, uh, so um, uh, you can. Uh, uh, it's, it's me. I missing. I miss the word. But uh, I think as, you, you, as far, obviously, as far as your talent can uh, authorizes you. Okay. So obviously, we are uh, all the all the European societies are losing talents. It's not only the the Portuguese story. Uh, all, every, a lot of pe young people in this global economy, in this open world, is traveling and uh, trying to find opportunities uh, in other countries, in other towns, in other cities. You know, one of the things I admire in America, an average American changes seven times of job and town during their lives. This is not a European behavior. Okay. But there is a long, a lot of young people uh, who understand social mobility, geographical mobility, for instance. That's why we need a house rent market in Portugal. To have labor mobility, to have social mobility, you have to have 
houses to rent accessible with accessible prices. This means a competitive market. You don't have it in Portugal for the moment. We'll try to change that. Okay? But, uh, so, okay, um, I know every, a lot of people, young, a lot of young people with talent uh, is leaving, but I'm very confident that not by a law, not by a bill, they will return. Thank you. Okay, two more questions? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, the lady here, please. Oh. The ambassador is becoming worried with the timetable. Okay, we'll be very quick. Go on. Quick question. Hi, I'm Siri Oliveira, and I'm studying international relations here, my master's. And I wanted to know um, if you think that the cuts which are being implemented, implemented, sorry, if they are the most appropriate, like cutting the widower's aid or something the? like that. Widower's aid? Viuva? Um, sorry. Oh. Yeah, that kind of cuts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want that to be the last question? Yes. Okay. What's your first name? Do you want to another question? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, uh, right at the very back, the gentleman in the grey suit or jacket. In fact, winter coat. Boa noite. Uh, Sr. Paulo Portas. My name is Antonio Cunha. Eu gostaria de saber. Uh, I'm sorry. Is I want to know. Um, with this crisis in Portugal. We more or less one million Portuguese people here. We got about three thousand Portuguese children here, and they want to learn Portuguese. Mm -hmm. What can we do to provide teachers? If we talk about education, we need to start from the beginning. And if we go our children to born here, if they speak two language, it's very good for us. I just want to know what okay. about the situation. Okay, the Portuguese stations. Thank okay, you. Fine, we understand the question. One last one. The, oh, sorry, the gentleman in the yellowish shirt here, please. Well, <laughs> um, the UK was a was a big fan of PPP and PFI in sort of late 90s and early 2000s, and that's almost I think where Portugal sort of got some inspiration for in that point. Uh, we've now become thankfully less of a fan, although still attached to it a bit. Um, how are Portugal doing renegotiating costly contracts and what lessons can the, the world that has been affected by this, okay, this learn? Those will have to be the lessons. Very good question. Yeah. I know the inspiration of the PPPs, just call it like that, uh, began here in, uh, in England in the 80s. Do you know, when you have a theoretical model, uh, it can be coherent, uh, you can test it, and if you just apply that model to one or two situations, okay, it's controllable, it's under scrutiny. Problem in Portugal and other countries, it's the will of governments to spend the money they don't have. This is the root of the problem, okay? A family knows that if the rent of the family is a hundred, that family couldn't spend a hundred and thirty. But governments has less, have less uh, reality 
reality, as less realism than families. And PPPs were, I, I said the, uh, uh, a more funny definition, uh, spend today, use tomorrow, pay one day. Okay, this is not, uh, uh, this is not uh, a structural, this can't be a structural policy because this is unsustainable. And what happened is you had some PPPs on roads. After you had some PPPs on health. After you had some PPPs on culture. After you had some PPPs on justice. Etc., etc., etc. Even local powers, local entities are doing PPPs, were doing PPPs. Nobody controls the global amount, okay? One of the changes for me is not being, uh, it's very difficult to renegoti renegotiate uh, uh, PPPs because contracts have uh, rules to renegotiation. And normally, usually, when you renegotiate, you pay longer, but you pay more. Okay. So I personally think Portugal is in a state of exception, if you want, uh, uh, in a state of emergency, fin in financially, fin financially speaking. So you have to, um, to study uh, the national interest criteria and to, uh, and to put it in the table by emergency uh, reasons, by uh, different uh, than the expectable reasons, the traditional reasons, the state will ask to change those contracts. And you know, uh, lawyers are very, very creative to solve problems. Um, but this is a real tough question and a tough dossier, okay? Uh, because you have uh, th three branches in the, in the business. You have the uh, constructors, you have the banking, and you have the state, okay? Um, look, the pensions on widows, let me tell you one thing. If uh, the widows, you know, I, I, can't, I, can't, um, I can't tell you that we can sustain universal pensions in every circumstance, in every situation, despite income, uh, personal and, and familiar uh, situations, okay? I know social pension, rural pension, and minimum pension are freezed now, and because of our concept of social ethics in austerity, will be defreezed next year. It's one of the few exceptions. Social, rural, and minimum pension, which are very low in Portugal, okay? And it's unfair to freeze those kind of pensions. So at least they have to be, uh, they, 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 they can't lose uh, the fight against inflation, inflation okay? S but look, if someone is very healthy, do you think the state has the right, has the, has the duty to give to a very healthy people or person uh, a widow pension? not considering familiar conditions? I don't think so, okay? So you have to be selective on, sele on social policies. And one of the things 
I know very well Ian Duncan Smith. Uh, one of the things I, I would, would call your attention, a, um, a very interesting report done by Ian Duncan Smith when he was in the opposition on poverty, on how, uh, the best ways to fight poverty. And don't create in a society the idea that uh, living with subsidies or living, living with uh, uh, um, uh, assistantialism from the state, not paying taxes, not working, is better than working, paying taxes, and try to, uh, try to fight every day your life for a better position. You can't have that idea that if I don't work, state will give me money, I won't pay taxes, I will go to informal economy, and I will have a better rent that then if I work tough, I pay taxes, I accomplish the rules, that's not equivalent. You have to give a price to those who accomplish the rules on social policies and in fiscal policies also, on tax policies also. Okay, but... Um, There's a very quick question about the language teaching. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Just tell you one. I can just tell you what I asked, uh, I told today to William Hague. To the Portuguese government is relevant to see um, the Portuguese language as optional in the areas of the um, education system where Portuguese communities are strong and relevant. Good, thank you. Now, you've been the most curious audience I've seen in a long time, that uh, we've had more questions. Uh, I think everyone's uh, wished to ask at least four questions. There's no more questions now. No, the ambassador, <laughs> the ambassador is completely... <laughs> we're, we're coming to a, a conclusion, but um, I hope the questions were... I, I, and I suspect the questions were far better than anything the BBC have asked you in the TV studio. Mm -hmm. But tougher ear than in the BBC. We like to think more intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you anyway. have the best, then let me tell you, let me finish with a, with a, with a, Please. With a very, uh, a de very deserved thing. You have the best question time in every parliament in the world. <laughs> yes. We only need the politicians as well. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, thank you, Minister, for this presentation. And on your behalf, I'd like to thank before, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, before we finish, can you please remain in your seats? The minister is on a very tight schedule. We need to uh, vacate the lecture theatre. Can you please remain in your seats whilst the minister uh, uh, leaves the theatre? But uh, before doing so, uh, can you join me in giving a very warm appreciation of tonight's lecture? Thank you very much.